All right, so this morning is our seventh week and our final week in the study of the book of 1 John. And if you're not already there, I would just invite you to turn to chapter 5 of 1 John. Uh, you can swipe there on your phone. It will be on the screen in just a little minute as well. I personally, I've really appreciated digging deeper into this little book that was written by the Apostle John. And we've said this many times, but 1 John is written by the Apostle John, who by this stage in his life is far advanced. He's an, an old man. He's towards the end of his life. Probably the only apostle that's still living at this, this time. And he's writing this letter to a group of churches in a region called Ephesus. And the reason he's writing them is that false teachers are trying to lead people away from the gospel of grace that they had been given by Jesus some time ago. So directly and indirectly, many of the issues that the church in that day is dealing with are issues that as believers we face today. And as we see this morning in John's letter, it couldn't be any more relevant to us than it was to the people that were there. Levi mentioned last week that this letter, 1 John, is not a systematic written letter. It's not going from thought A to thought B to thought C to thought D to thought E. It's more cyclical. The, the couple of two or three themes in there continue to go back and forth and back and forth. So it's like thought A, B, and C. And then he comes back to thought A, B, and C. And back to thought A, B, and C. And one of the common themes that, that John writes about is the fact that through simple faith in Jesus Christ, we can be secure in our salvation. We can literally be made spiritually right by God, and no one can take that away from us. So this morning as we look at, at chapter 5, we'll see this truth again. And, and church, there is no better truth than the truth that is broken, sinful people, we can have a right relationship with God. Now, a second common theme that we'll encounter yet again this morning is similar but different. John writes that not only is it possible to be secure in our salvation, it's also possible to have confidence or assurance of our salvation. Now this morning as we look at, at chapter 5, we're not going to have the time to cover each and every verse in detail. We're in fact going to look at the first 13 verses. But the, the two points that I want us to, to leave here with this morning involve this issue of security in our salvation and assurance of our salvation. These ideas are similar and yet they're distinct. They're different. You see, it's actually possible to have one without the other, but it's not necessary to do so. We're going to start by taking a look at the first 12 verses of chapter 5. And as I read these, I want you to think about the answer that the Apostle John provides to the simple question, what must I do to be saved? See if you can find the answers to that question as I read these first 12 verses in chapter 5. So John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 
And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Okay, so who are those born of God? John says, those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Savior. And he continues, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I think we're starting a theme here. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Now, water and blood is a reference to the earthly water baptism that Jesus underwent and then the blood that he shed on the cross. John says, he did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed in the testimony that God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Okay, there's a, a lot packed into those 12 verses. But again, this morning, we're going to focus on these two main themes that we see in 1 John. Security and assurance of salvation. Let's look at the text again and see if we can identify how spiritual life takes place. How can a person be made spiritually right with God and know that eternal life is in their future. Is salvation for a, a select group of people? Do you, do you need a ticket to have salvation? Do you have to, to buy your way into heaven? Do you have to work your way into being, by being religious enough or good enough? Uh, once you do have your salvation, what do you have to do to keep it? Now, I hope actually that some of the suggestions that I've made kind of sound silly to you. And if they do, part of that reason might be because you understand what John said in verse 1. But let me remind you, in every man-made religion, being spiritually right with God requires doing something to, to earn favor with God. Either being good, doing good, uh, being religious, uh, following the rules. But look again at 1 John. John lays it out, and throughout his entire letter, he lays this out. Who can have a relationship with God, and how does it happen? John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, this is important because the false teachers that are harassing the churches during this time in Ephesus 
believed actually that they were some kind of a special uh, brand of people. They were a special class of people. They had been given a special knowledge that was required for salvation. And the reality was this group of people actually denied the deity of Jesus. They denied that he was fully God in human flesh. Again, salvation for this group of false teachers involved acquiring some special knowledge rather than faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So John makes it incredibly clear in verse 1. You do not need to be a special class of people or have some kind of special knowledge in order to be right with God. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Church, and here's what I want us to to take away from this. Here is the key to understanding why you and I And anyone else who puts their faith in Jesus can actually be secure in our salvation. And here's the reason. Salvation is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done. Salvation is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done. So that means being saved getting right with God, moving from spiritual death to spiritual life, being forgiven, whatever term that you want to use, it involves recognizing that we need forgiveness of our sin and then placing our faith and our trust in Jesus alone as our Savior. This means that we've come to a place where we recognize that there is literally absolutely nothing we can do to be good enough or to earn favor with God. It's kind of like this. If if you committed some sort of a crime and the penalty for that crime was a $1 billion fine, you're standing in front of the judge and he says, what do you have to offer uh, in in paying this fine? And you reach into your pocket and all you can come up with is a piece of lint and maybe a, a candy wrapper or two. We have no ability spiritually to take care of the sin debt that we owe God. And yet Jesus steps up and in our place, he says, put it on my tab. Judge, I will cover it all. That's a a beautiful picture of the amazing grace that's available in Jesus. And church, if we let it, that truth will totally totally remove the pressure that we feel and live with wondering, have I done enough in this life to get me to heaven? Followers of Jesus do not live like people who practice a religion. Practicing a religion is basically like taking a final exam in life and hoping that you get a high enough score. And if you were to put it in that uh, metaphor, the, the question would be, how good do you have to be to meet the standard of a completely holy, righteous, perfect God? How much good do you have to do to make up for every single sin that you've ever committed in your life? I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to take that exam. So the question would be, why in the world are there people 
who, who still kind of have a works salvation mentality. Why on earth would you ever want to grab a hold of something like that? Well, people that are a lot smarter than I have suggested a couple of things. One of those is that there's enough pride in our sinful hearts to kind of think that we actually can do enough good to clean ourselves up and stand before a holy, righteous God. The second issue is that there's enough of us in, in our sinfulness that says we want to have totally control of our lives and we don't want to surrender any of that even to God. So who needs to turn our lives over to God if we can run our own lives? John's saying something very, very different. So is it really as simple as faith alone in Christ alone? We really don't have to earn our work to deserve our salvation. Is that true? Are we absolutely convinced that John just didn't misspeak here? I want to suggest to you that if verse 1 of chapter 5 of 1 John was the very only place that we read about salvation through faith in Jesus alone, if that was the only place that was taught, we might begin to wonder if John had his facts mixed up. But take another quick look at, at verses 5 and 10 and 11 and 12, just of chapter 5 again. Verse 5 says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What does he say in verse 10? Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. And in verses 11 and 12, we read what that testimony was. And, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Churches, John closes out his letter to the Ephesian churches. He's making it abundantly clear. He's saying the same thing that the rest of the Bible teaches. Being forgiven, being saved is about faith in Jesus Christ, period. Salvation is not about how religious, how good, how generous, how kind, how deserving we think we might or might not be. Listen to the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. When we think about what we can do to be good enough to earn God's uh, favor, Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that our righteous acts, anything good that we bring to the table, are like filthy rags. They're worthless. So what it says is even on our very, very best day, on the days that we do our very best to honor God and to live for him, uh, even all those acts on that day are worthless in comparison to what they need to be. Church, this can be so, so freeing in your life if you'll grab onto this this morning. If you are here, and you are what I call a do-do-do Christian. You're living your, your, your life in, in such a way that you feel like you always have to be doing something to please God in order for him to love or accept you. Would you please just stop it? <laughs> 
Would you just relax? True salvation is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done. There is absolutely no penalty that you and I owe for anything that we've ever done, anything that we might be involved in today, or any sin that we're going to commit in the future. It's been paid in full. And I like Romans 10.13. Paul says it as simply as he can. He starts out, everyone. We've already heard that word today. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's free gift of salvation is available to everyone who humbles themselves enough to receive it. Friends, please do not leave here this morning without grabbing a hold of one of these truths that John wants us to grab a hold of. And the first one is this. Faith in Jesus Christ equals security in our salvation. Why is that so? Why does simple faith in Jesus make our salvation secure? Here's the reason. Salvation is secure through faith in Jesus because it is not conditional. If our salvation was conditional, it would only be good as long as we continued to meet the conditions. And church, too many Christians live their lives as if God saved them at some point in time in their life. And now they have to live in certain way in order to maintain God's favor or maintain his forgiveness and their salvation. That is not grace by faith. That is a works salvation. That is a Jesus plus something I do to save myself. One commentator that I read this week put it this way, and I think this is great. In talking about faith in Jesus alone, it says, this means that our identity is not in your possessions, talents, tattoos, kudos, or accomplishments, nor are you defined by your divorce, deficiencies, debt, or dumb choices. You are God's child. You get to call him Papa. You may approach God with freedom and with confidence. And church, that is exactly what John has been telling us in this letter. We have the ability to approach God with confidence. And when we talk about being secure in our salvation, we are talking about how God views salvation. The Bible tells us that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, God actually gives us grace. And instantly we take on and are given the literal righteousness of Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, our salvation is secure. We can't lose it. We don't have to work to keep it. Jesus paid it all, so it is finished, and it is a done deal. Now, I know there's not a, a lot of people here this morning. It's not a, a full crowd. We've got two services, so we don't see all of our brothers and sisters from Crossroads here. But for those of you who are, who are here, I would venture to believe that there are some of you that need to grab on to this truth that John has been hammering and hammering home like it's a bull that you're going to ride in a rodeo. 
You need to grab onto this truth with both hands and not let go. Stop thinking about the fact that you continue to struggle with sin and, and cause that to believe you, believe, cause you to believe that you have lost your salvation. Just stop that. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God did not wait until we were cleaned up to love us and to demonstrate his love for us. We've had a a little string of babies born. We've got one right here in the third row uh, lately. And, and you know, when a baby messes their pants, does their earthly parent approach them and say, you know what, I'm just not sure if I can really love you anymore because you just made a mess that I'm going to have to clean up. Of course not. That does not happen. A loving parent loves their son and daughter even while they sit in a messy, stinky diaper. Church, do you know there's times that we will give an earthly parent credit for having that kind of love, but we will fail to give credit to God for being a God that does not stop loving us even when we continue to mess up. He loves us right exactly where we are, sitting in the stinky messes of our lives that we create. He loves us not only for the person we are when we're sitting in that stinky mess, he loves us for the person that he is helping us to become no matter how long it takes. Salvation in Jesus is secure. Now, with that said, there is a huge difference between being saved and feeling saved. While security in our salvation is God's view, it's how he looks at salvation, our view of salvation has to do with this term, assurance of salvation. Salvation in Jesus is a fact it's not a feeling. Salvation in Jesus is a fact. It's not a feeling. There's not a single place in the Bible where you and I are commanded to feel saved. There's not a single place in the Bible, in fact, that God promises that you and I will always feel saved. In fact, I think it's actually, because of our brokenness and the brokenness of our world, I think it's a fairly common experience for people who have already put their faith in Jesus so they are secure in their salvation to struggle at times with believing that they are secure. Take a look at verse 13 in chapter 5. John makes it clear that we can have assurance or confidence in our salvation. He writes... I write these things to you, meaning I've written this whole letter to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He didn't say so that you will feel all the time, but that you may know, that you may have confidence that you have eternal life. While the Apostle John wrote these words, they're ultimately the words of God. Church, 
Although we're not commanded to feel saved, I really do believe that God doesn't want us to wrestle with and struggle with wondering whether we're saved. If we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, he wants us to have the assurance of our salvation. So while it is possible to be secure in our salvation, we can also not feel saved. So as we finish this morning, I simply want to address two simple questions. What keeps us from feeling saved or having assurance of our salvation? And then secondly, is there anything that we can do to have a greater sense of assurance of our salvation? So let's take that first question. What keeps a person from, from feeling saved or having assurance of their salvation? I'm going to quickly, and I, I apologize for this because of time, I'm going to quickly mention just three things that I think sometimes keep us from feeling saved. First one is this, quite simply, bad theology. Just not understanding the truths of God's word related to salvation. A number of years ago, uh, and I'm getting to that age where a number of years ago means a number of years ago. Some of you might remember a thing where, where people were talking about what was called lordship salvation. This concept that, that Jesus was your savior, but in order for him to really be your savior, you had to surrender every area of your life to his lordship. Now, before I, I say what I'm about to say, that is a good thing to do. We are called to surrender every area of our life to the lordship of Jesus, letting him have control of every area of our lives. But church, let me tell you, there is no way that in this earth, every area of our lives is going to be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. That will not happen until you get to heaven, okay? So that's true of me, that's true of you. Lordship salvation is a conditional salvation, you are saved if Jesus is always Lord of every area of your life. Again, it's not that we shouldn't see progress and that we shouldn't have that as our goal, but that is another one of those areas that, that would just cause you to be plagued with wondering if you're really saved. So bad theology is one reason we don't always feel saved. A second is this, overthinking. You heard what I said, overthinking. Introspection. Taking an inside look is a good thing to do, and it has its place. However, many well-meaning Christians take this a lot farther than it was ever intended. They, they plague themselves with this thought, do I bear enough fruits of the Spirit to really be saved? Is my faith really solid enough? Have I confessed and repented of every single sin in my life and done so sufficiently? Have I simply tricked myself into thinking that I'm a believer? And on and on and on and on. When we take, hear me now, when we take an honest inside look, it's going to be messy. If we're honest about what goes on really inside of us, it's pretty ugly. And if that's where we stop, it's pretty easy to start thinking that we aren't really saved. And I want to suggest to you that while taking an inside look is a healthy thing to do in, in certain ways and in certain times, looking inside 
It's not where we're going to find assurance for our salvation. Beyond looking inside, we need to look outside of ourselves like at God's grace and his love and his forgiveness and most of all, the promises of the truth of his word. The third reason that I think a lot of times we can struggle with feeling saved is refusing to forgive our past. So many times in life we compare ourselves and our lives or our sin with other people. And when we do that, it's pretty easy to start to believe in a God who can forgive all those other people. But my sin is just too great. He can't forgive me. And when we start thinking like that, um, we become our own worst enemy. And we start believing the lies that we tell ourselves. And then you know what happens? The devil comes along and he is by nature a liar and always will be a liar. And he begins to tell us that there is no way that we can sin or struggle in these ways and still be saved. We've just gone too far. God has forgiven us. We are secure in our salvation, but we don't feel secure in our salvation in those moments. Let's, uh, let's get super practical as, as we end this morning. Um, what are some things that we can do to actually feel more saved, to be more in touch with and in tune with the assurance of our salvation. And before I leave you with three suggestions real quickly, I want to let you know one of the reasons some Christians have a harder time believing that they are saved than other Christians has to do with the fact that we are created differently by design. Some of you here this morning are driven by your emotions. You feel everything. You make decisions in your life about what other people are going to feel about what you did. You have deep feelings when you see a butterfly fly across the, the, the sky. And then others of you wouldn't feel a feeling if it bit you on the big toe. You're in your head all the time. You prefer to think rather than to feel. Some Christians are feelers. And some are thinkers. How God wired you in that way is going to cause some of you to have a harder time with the assurance of your salvation than others. With that said, beyond the, the ways God has created us differently, we do process informationally differently based on our, our past experiences, based on how our family processed things, based on trauma that we have experienced, based on a whole lot of other things. All these differences influence the way that we do relationships here on earth. It's going to absolutely also impact the way that we do relationship with the Lord and the way that he, we connect with him. What I'm trying to say with too many words apparently is this. It's not fun, but it's perfectly okay if you don't always feel saved. It's perfectly okay if you don't always feel the love and the security that God wants you to feel. Do your best to put a couple of these suggestions into practice, but by all means, relax a little. Not feeling saved does not mean 
that you're not saved. In fact, the fact that you actually even care about whether you're saved or not is uh, an indicator that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. So let me end with this. What, what can we do to feel saved, to enjoy the assurance of our salvation? And again, I'm going to be very quick with these three because of time here. Number one, first and foremost, trust God's words over your feelings. Trust the word of God and what he says over how you feel about it. Everybody in this room has at one point in time purchased a ticket. Whether it's a ticket to travel on an airplane, whether it's a ticket to go to a ball game or a concert. Some of y'all are into like dinner theater. If you want to pretend you bought a ticket to a dinner theater, that's okay. But what do you do when you buy a ticket nowadays? You print it off and you put it away somewhere safe. And when the day comes or, or the time comes for you to get on the airplane or to go to the event, you pull that ticket out and you read the words on the ticket. And you read them and you believe that because it says on this day and on this time, you have admittance into this event, you take that ticket with faith and you give it there. And in the same way, when we read the word of God, we need to trust the words that are in God's word. For example, if you struggle to believe that God could forgive your past, you may want to read Psalm 103. And here's what it says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not accuse, always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Dust. He knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust is a nice way of saying he understands that we are still a hot mess. That, that we are incapable of our own of, of living all that we want to live. If that's you, then the idea here is to print those words out. Put them on your mirror, put them on your dashboard, read them often, and then believe what they say. The amount and the quality of our faith is not nearly as important as in the person that we place our faith in. In Matthew 17, Jesus told his disciples that the faith the size of a mustard seed can actually move mountains. J.D. Greer, Levi quotes him quite often. He's a pastor and an author. He says this, and I think it fits here really well. Feelings are not the fruit of faith, not the source of it. So don't feel your way into your beliefs. Believe your way into your feelings. Believe your way into your feelings. How do we know that we are saved? Because God's word tells us and God cannot lie. 
Trusting in God's word. That's the first thing. Second thing, real, real quickly, Levi mentioned last week, pray. Prayer is just simply talking to God. A prayerless person will never feel close to God. In the same way that if you don't talk to people in your family, you don't feel close to them. Continue to talk and, and, and ask God to help you with your, your uh, unbelief at times. Third thing, do your best to obey. Church, I can't fully explain it, but, but doing our best to live a life of obedience does make us feel more saved. It just does. Uh, confess your sins and, and keep struggling. Don't quit. Reread uh, 1 John and see how many times in this cyclical pattern we see him talk about the fact, how can you know that you are a child of God? And he brings up obedience and living a life of love. Obeying God's word does not save us, but it builds our confidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Friends, I don't know how much of an issue this is for you, but I would venture to say most of us at times have that thought, am I really saved? John's letter, the entire letter that he has written that we've been studying is beautiful and it's wonderful because it reminds us that salvation is a total act of Jesus Christ and we put our faith in that and our salvation is in Jesus and not in ourselves. And God desires that we have assurance that we feel that, but that comes by knowing God's word and choosing to believe it. Let me pray, and, uh, and I'm thankful that you're here. Next week, we are starting a series called Life Hacks, and we're going to look at the book of Proverbs during the summer and see what it has to tell us about living the life that God wants us to enjoy. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for each person that's here this morning. Thanks for those that were here in the, the first service. And thank you for all our brothers and sisters at Crossroads Church uh, listening at home. And Lord, we just continue to, uh, to recognize and to acknowledge before you that uh, we are sinful and we're broken people. Uh, Lord, it's pretty easy to see all the things that are going on and what the, the police officer did and what others have done in response and get angry and point fingers at how horrible those people out there are. But Lord, when we're honest and, and we do take an inside look, we recognize that we ourselves are, are sinful, broken people, totally, totally undeserving of your goodness and your forgiveness. And yet, while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, we thank you that salvation and security in that doesn't rest on some conditional thing that we have to keep or be good at, but it's a done deal in faith in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, may uh, when those days come where we kind of doubt that, may, may we allow our faith and the, the truth of your word talk us into feelings rather than allow our feelings to talk us out of uh, our salvation. Thank you, Lord, that, that we can uh, be assured of it. But thank you more importantly that even when we're not assured of it, even when we don't even feel saved, Lord, uh, we can bank on the fact that our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't know what my, my friends here have going on this afternoon or this evening or, or this week, but I pray that you'd go with them. 
Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would use us, and I pray that you would use your church, not only in Northwest Ohio, but across the globe, Lord, to be beacons of life in a dark, dark world, to point others to the goodness of living in, in relationship with Jesus Christ. And we thank you for all of this, in Jesus' name, amen.